In order to keep bringing you guys tons of free content, we work with brand partners who you'll hear from in this episode, including an advertisement from Zopabank. Welcome back to the Talk 20s podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode of us in the Talk 20 studio. Do you want more self-belief or have you ever felt like you could do that thing you've been putting off if you just believed in yourself more? Well, today I'm joined by the self-belief chief, David Holman, as we discuss a very clear six-step framework to get more self-belief. This is one of those episodes that you'll want to listen to over and over again. So if you enjoy it, please do leave us a review or comment and like let us know. On with the show. Well, hello, David. Welcome to the Talk 20s podcast. It's a delight to have you on. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you very much for having me, Gabby. Honestly, you have such an interesting concept because you decided that you wanted to become an expert in self-belief. Tell us why you were so drawn to like this idea of self-belief and kind of believing in yourself like what triggered this kind of passion and urge to help people believe in themselves more well for that that use of the word expert thank you for placing that nicely in there i don't <laughs> remember not sure i've ever called myself that but i love it i'll pay you for that later as well but um no it, it started i had a moment when i was 15 i mean lots of things contribute to wanting self-belief but when i was about 15 i'm playing football on this gravel tennis court at school and so I was going through a difficult spell where for a couple of years I was having boys score points on how much abuse they could inflict on me in different ways. I'm also half Christian, half Jewish, so there's a, a racial element to all of this as well. And I was I was just a mess, really, um, and for, for a lot of other reasons. And one day, playing football on this gravel tennis court, smoke started to descend across the court. And one of these boys comes up to me and goes, uh, David, it's, the smoke's coming from that house, from that chimney across the road. Why don't you go and knock on the door and see if they'll let you in? I said, well, why would they let me in? And he said, well, because that's where they're burning all the Jews. And when you have moments like that, there'll be some people listening who will understand that type of experience. And there'll be plenty of people who don't. But that feeling of when it's pain at like a spiritual level where it feels like it tears it like a piece of paper. That feeling, I think lots of people can resonate with. And it's when it's something that offends or intrudes on our identity. Yeah. We don't get offended by anything unless we see it as a part of who we are. If, it's, mm. if we have a business, for example, you know, I, I remember speaking to someone and they had a business and they're really excited about the idea and someone sort of rubbished it. And that person isn't trying to create a business. They don't understand the effect that has on that person. And that, that person, it was their identity. So I have this situation, this person says this thing, and it's hardly the worst thing I've been through in my life by any stretch of the imagination. You go through heartbreak, loss, all of that stuff. But the reason why that contributed to where I am and what I do today is because something came to me at that time, I don't know why, that I had a choice to make. And that choice was about you can't control the events in life, but you can control what they mean. And there was something about that that I thought, I don't know what this means yet. And by the way, be super clear, when we talk about something meaning something, this is not a reason why it happened. There's too many things in life where people say, oh, there's a reason, but you cannot tell people with some of the worst things you can imagine. It's happened for a reason. Mm. It hasn't happened for a reason, but you do get to decide what it's going to mean. You don't have to find it today. But at some point, and I, I thought about this for a while and I thought, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I also felt somewhat 
sorry for this person because there was something about it, the way it came across as well, that I thought there's something that's a problem for him. Mm-hmm. And it became this obsession to understand human beings because I always say to people, people don't appreciate what I understand. They appreciate feeling understood. Mm-hmm. We all want to feel understood. And I wanted to understand people, not so that I could get something in return necessarily. Sure, I wanted to make my life more comfortable. But so I can understand, well, what contributes to someone doing that? What contributes to people having struggles in their life? And so I went through all of this and I, I became obsessed with psychology, neurolinguistic neuro- programming, game theory, everything to just get an understanding. I didn't know it would lead to, you know, doing my business or speaking on podcasts like this. But, and what was weird was that really, really helped me, but it helped me understand other people. But also, just to finish off that story, about eight years later, I was asked to do a talk at the same school and I was happy to do it, but also a bit uncomfortable, a bit nervous about Mm -hmm. it as well. I go to do this talk, I'm in this hall, And during my talk, I'm getting someone heckling me. And I'm thinking, I'm not a stand-up comedian. Why on earth is someone heckling me all the way through this talk? And I'm trying to ignore it. I'm trying to ignore it. I'm trying to ignore it. And they're still heckling, still heckling. People are laughing. Some people are getting annoyed by it. The important part of that story is that at the end of the talk, everyone's leaving and leaving the room, one person stayed sat down. And it was this boy who'd been heckling me all the way through. And I'm thinking, oh no, he's, he's going to come up. He's going to say something. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where this is going. And he's looking around the room, just waiting for everyone to go. And then the last person goes, the door shuts and he walks up to the front. I'm thinking, okay, let me deal with this then. And he goes, uh, David, I, I struggle with Tourette's, ADHD. Um, I've been struggling with depression, anxiety, all clinically diagnosed, excuse me, diagnosed. But what was helpful about today is you taught me that it's not about the events and the labels. Sure, I've got to address these things. I've got to deal with these things. But it's about what it means. What do I do with this stuff? And that then informed that moment back in the past for me that it had meant something. That that moment, rather than being something that could, you know, sort of tear me apart in some way, shape or form, it was a way to understand, to help people, to contribute in some way and really just to help people grow and give. So that was the lane, that was the route. And I felt like self-belief, as important as it is, it doesn't affect everything, but it affects us every day of our lives. And I felt if I could add some real value in that space, I could make a meaning of that moment from the past and help people who go through way worse than I've ever gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I'm sorry that you had to experience that. Um, no one should, especially kids growing up. It's not nice. And I, I, you know, I really relate to what you said about the, you know, an attack on our identity, on who we are, like that can feel quite personal. And so it's amazing that you've turned something so negative into something so positive through what you're doing with your, with your work. But I think the thing that resonates with me about your content is this idea of like how self-belief, which you've just said, is is threaded throughout so much of our lives. Mm. Um, and we think it's something that just some people have and some people don't have. Mm. When in fact, you think there's a bit more of a science and an art to it. So can you give let us into your brain? Tell us a little bit more about how you think about self-belief. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a perfect way of putting it. I, I think that people see it as this kind of very intangible, broad subject. That's just a feeling and it's a state of being and some people have it and you see that person walk down the street and they go, they're so confident and you see other people walking down the street and you just think, oh, I'm just never going to be that. I'm never going to be that. 
and everything feels so out of our our reach. But when you do this for over a decade, working with you know, three people a day, you just see the same patterns over and over and over again. And you start to realise that, of course, of course, everyone feels the same way. Mm. Absolutely. So I knew because I've had good people that I've listened to and watched and, and so on and so forth learn from, the only things you improve in life are things you can measure, right? If you want to lose weight, there are scales. You can lose weight. You can measure it. Imagine trying to lose weight, but you had no concept of how much you weighed, no way of measuring it for the future. You'd always just be in this kind of ambiguous state. Imagine if you wanted to ask for a pay rise at work, but you didn't know how much money you earn and you had no concept of how much money you'd be earning in the future. It makes no sense at all. Mm. And yet, this is what we do with our level of self-belief, which contributes to pretty much everything. So, I had a, a, another moment when I was sort of going through a tough time. A teacher pulled me to the side and he said, David, you just got to believe in yourself a bit more. And he walks away. And I just, being in a, in a tough moment at that time, I just said, how? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you told me to believe in myself. How? And he was, you know, oh, you know, David, you just, you do that thing. You just have to, you know. And he didn't have an answer. And anyone who's listening, you know, if anyone ever says to you, just believe in yourself, ask them how, and they'll look like they're trying to solve a Rubik's Cube. It just, <laughs> it really baffles people. And I think it's really, really important and problematic that in schools at a young age, at older age, in people's development, the phrase just believe in yourself is thrown out. And it's so problematic because it simplifies the whole thing and gives that perception that everyone else knows what they're doing. And they don't. They really don't. Even if they have it in certain areas of the life, they don't have it in others because no one has self, complete self-belief. Put me in a Formula One car, forget everything I know and hopefully I can share in this podcast. I'm not going to feel good about it. I know how to build <laughs> some confidence in a bit, but I'm going to be terrified. So I think the science of it is I, I built a, a model through kind of years of research and years of working with people to find out in all these different areas of psychology, human behaviour and everything else, what do they all say about self-belief? And then what are the common denominators? Because that has, surely has got to be some truth in that aspect of it. Of which I came up with six self-belief master steps. That's a model that I designed, gets used in various apps and various other things as a way to measure our self-belief. Ex know exactly what it is, but also identify exactly where the friction is so that we can make that adjustment. Because some people will be nailing certain parts and other parts they'll be struggling with but have got no concept and awareness. And my job when I work with people is the enemy of execution is complexity. I've got to simplify things for people. So if I can give people a model which becomes tangible, becomes real, it becomes in reach, it's actually an opportunity to grow in an area, not because they want self-belief, but because on the other side of that is something that they're really desperate for, whether it's more love, to avoid the fear of being alone, whether it's to grow a business with more money, feel good about their physical health, I don't know, whatever. There's something that's meaningful for them. And if I could create something simple and tangible for people that they feel like they've closed that gap to making a massive change in their life, then that's an opportunity that I wanted to help hopefully give to people. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And before we dive into talking about those six steps, I really want to understand this concept that you kind of said, and it's so simple, but it's so effective that like, actually when people are looking for self-belief, they're actually looking for certainty. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. No one wants self-belief. And for someone who's called their business self-belief to you, that sounds like a really bad PR nightmare for me to say no one wants self-belief. But it is true because as I said, it's what they think self-belief will give them. 
Okay. So for anyone who's listening right now, I want you to, in the rest of this episode, have a think about what is it you think, if you have more self-belief, you would actually get from life? How would your life look different? What can you then access? And everyone I work with from Olympic athletes to business owners, whoever, what they're asking for is complete certainty, absolute certainty. They want to know that they can deliver. They want to know they'll get the results they want. They want to know the future is going to be better. Now, the problem is, of course, that in no way is life certain, mm. right? It's completely uncertain all of the time. So I've got to do two aspects, really. I've got to create a sense of certainty, obviously, in the areas of what they can control, but I've also got to get them into a, a comfortable state to be able to handle uncertainty because that's an inevitability. If I can do those two things well, then people could be able to handle everything because if you do what's uncomfortable in life, your life becomes more comfortable. And so my job, again, with simplifying things is to help people be able to take consistent massive action because that's the only thing that changes the quality of your life, not this. You know, the hardest way to change your mind is to try and change your mind. The easiest way is through your physiology. It's taking massive action as well. My job is to help people take action that they wouldn't have taken otherwise. If they can do that on a consistent basis and learn how to be in those uncomfortable environments, then they can get that sense of certainty and comfort and actually their life will become more comfortable. So when people ask for certainty, it's a tall ask, absolutely. <laughs> but that is my job to get them as close to it as possible. Absolutely. And I am so excited to dive into these six steps. I've definitely got something in my brain that I'm like, oh, if I just believed in myself, we'd be able to do this. So um, I'm sure there will be everyone at home also thinking the same thing. And so I'd love for you to take us through the six steps. And I know that the first one is clarity. Tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. So, and I, I want to come back to what you just said in terms of so, uh, something in your mind that you've got in the back of your head that you think, I just, just could be a little yeah. bit more confident. I want to come back to that. Let's go through the model first and let's use, uh, I'm going to use a real client uh, recently. I'm going to change their name, but we're, for the purpose of this, we'll call them Zara, okay? Zara. So the six self-belief master steps. Zara's come to me, she says, David, look, a couple months back, I've gone through a really difficult breakup. Um, this person's cheated on me. My trust is absolutely blown apart. I feel rejected. I always say rejection breeds obsession. When people get into an obsessive state, that's a really difficult place to be in. And um, part of that is to be able to redirect some of that obsessive energy into something productive. She goes, I I'm really struggling with this, but I'm in a slightly better place, but I don't know how I'm going to connect with people, how I'm going to build my social circle, even the concept of love and connection with people again. I, that whole thing feels shattered for me. So I, I need to find some level of confidence in being able to make some strides in that direction. Okay. So the six of those steps, as you, as you mentioned, is clarity. Obviously, clarity brings things closer. So when people are listening to this, I'm going I'm to get, you can do this at home. You've got a piece of uh, pen and paper and write these six questions down and actually be able to measure your self-belief. Okay. So clarity. The first question is, are you clear of what you want and who you want to be? How clear are you out of 10? So 10 being, I totally know, absolutely. Zero being, no idea. But the question isn't, are you clear of what you're trying to avoid or what you don't want? Because most people come to me and they'll say, I want self-belief so I don't feel anxious. If I say, don't think of a polar bear, you'll think of a polar bear. Right, so when we say, oh, our brain can't process negatives, when we say, don't be stressed, don't be this, don't be this, we're just, we're just making the situation worse. You've got to be clear of what you do want and who you want to be. So let's say Zara's come to me and Zara's answered the question. She said, maybe a five. Okay. We get to the second of those steps. It's energy. Energy is the oxygen of self-belief. Without energy, I don't care how good your strategy is. I don't care how smart you are, how attractive you are. 
doesn't matter. If your energy is low, not happening. Okay. How much energy do you have compared to how you would like to feel out of 10? Zara thinks about it. She goes, my energy is pretty low. Maybe a three. Okay. We go to the third step, focus. The ability to focus on solutions, not problems. What's wrong is always available. So is what's right. So the ability to focus on solutions, not problems. So how good are you at focusing on the solution, not the problem? So I goes, oh my God, this is a nightmare for me. Okay, three again. I can't, I can't do that. Okay. Right. I've got to keep it. I'm trying to keep these scores in my head as well so I can add them up in the moment. Five, <laughs> the three, moment. three, we've done. Good, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fourth step is triggers. The ability to access, access self-belief when you need it most. Because we can all have it when we're sat at home watching the TV and we feel good about ourselves. But when we need it is when that goes very quickly and we're like, where the hell's that gone? So how good are we at accessing self-belief when we need it most? She goes, maybe a four. Okay. Fifth step is momentum. Momentum is about how you add up the moments in your life, right? Again, you can add all the crap together easily. You have to be quite consciously mind about how you add up the right stuff, the good stuff. How much consistent action do you feel like you're taking towards what you want out of 10? Sarah says, maybe a five. Okay. And then the final step, growth. At some point, we need to see progress. If we don't feel like we're growing, we tend to feel like we're moving backwards and we feel stuck. Okay. How much do you feel like you're growing towards what you want? Zara goes, no, a three. Okay. Now, you're going to help me out with what those scores were. So I think we had a five. We mm-hmm. had a three. That's an eight. Another three. I think it was 11. A four. I think it was a 15. Momentum, five. That's a 20. And growth. What was the last score I just gave? I think it was, a, let's say it was a three for argument's sake. Okay. So we got a score of 23. On my website, there's a chart. There's five different stages of levels of self-belief. That would put her in the first stage, which is called the learning stage. There's good, there's pros and cons about that. Look, there's a long way to go. It's a score of 23 out of 60. So six scores out of 10. So it's 23 out of 60. It doesn't sound super high. But in a learning stage, what's good about that is it's like, if you haven't been to the gym before and then you start going to the gym, you can make gains really, really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Same, absolutely the same thing with self-belief. So you can make a big change very, very quickly and build self-belief. And there are stages of learning, capable, good, high, and expert. And so it's a job to get her through those stages. You don't have to get to higher expert necessarily, but to get through those stages. But what I can also do with Zara, as I did with her, is ask her, okay, of these six areas, which one of these do you have in your mind that you go, if I could improve in that one area, that'd make a massive difference to the quality of my life? She goes, you know what, if I, could, if I had a way to focus on solutions, not problems, then I can do something about it. Great. Then we can do a deep dive in that area, which is hundreds of strategies I can go through for that. Mm. And my big thing is, look, again, there's a whole there's a whole model in terms of being able to measure self-belief, but I'm also obsessed by looking at specific areas. A quick note from our sponsors, Zopa Bank, home of the Smart Saver. I don't know about you, but I'm getting FOMO from seeing everyone have the best time at festivals, seeing their favourite artists. So I'm getting ahead for next year. I'm trying to put a bit of fun into my savings by creating a savings pot in my Zopa Bank Smart Saver and titling it with one of my dream artists that I want to see. Then whenever I hear one of their songs playing, I add one pound to the pot. This time next year, I should hopefully have enough to go and see them live. You can get started with a Zopa Smart Saver with just one pound. You must be aware that the longest notice period for a boosted interest pot is 95 days in exchange for the highest rate. Interest is paid monthly and is subject to variation. 
they all have different languages, right? If you're going through heartbreak, that has a different language with regards to self-belief. If you are trying to change career, that has a different language. So I'm always looking for strategies so that not only I can help people with their self-belief, but then I can make help them make uh, growth as quickly as possible by being able to mentor them a little bit more in that sense, if need be, so that they can make that change. And actually, I only ever create courses and programs if I've personally gone through it myself. And that, that helps with that aspect of feeling understood, which I think is the most important aspect. So once Zara's got that score, she's got something tangible. She knows exactly where the problem is for her and she can improve that score. That will help with the rest of the process as well. Then she can tangibly see that improvement and that gives her that sense of certainty. Ah, I'm certain I know exactly how much self-belief I have. In a month's time, I know exactly how much self-belief I have. And when I lack it or lose it in the future, I know exactly how to get it again. And that's what I do for that model or why I built that model, because it just gives people that reassurance, that certainty. And I don't give them the false impression that they'll have self-belief every single day forever. They won't. But I do give them the impression and the certainty that when you don't have it, you can get it back when you need it. So interesting. I've never... It's such a scientific and kind of different way of looking at self-belief. Because like we said, like like self-belief, we just think it's like something if you, you have it or you don't. But like this is a way that you can actually work on things to have more of it. So what are the easy wins that people can do to kind of increase those different areas that you think if they're listening right now and they're like, actually, my clarity is really low. Okay. How would you kind of boost that up? Okay, let's go for like a really quick example for each of them. Okay, yeah. so pros and cons of clarity with the clarity aspect. So one of those aspects is, as I mentioned, people being clear of what they don't want, get really, really clear of what you do want in really clear, specific detail, measurable detail. So for example, with Zara, look, she wants to, she, she's heartbroken, she's lacking confidence, she wants to grow a social circle, she wants more love. Okay, what is love, right? What is connection? How big do you want your social circle to be? What do you want that to look like? Who do you need to be to make that happen as well? What values do you have to have? So be really clear and specific and measurable of exactly what you want. Because again, being vague or having complexity just causes people not to take any action. You get really clear. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, there's something I can do there. Once I know what the bullseye is of what I do want, now I've got something to aim for. When I work with people, for example, who... They're really struggling with love and relationships. I ask them, well, who is your ideal partner? You've got no idea because we don't spend any time to work it out. If you don't know what the bullseye is, what are you aiming at? If you don't know what the bullseye is, how are you supposed to write a dating profile? Not of all the things you want, but of what your ideal partner wants to hear, read and see, because that's what you've got to do or where you should spend your time. So know what that bullseye is of what you do want, not what you don't want. With energy, okay. I go. Th I do a whole inventory with people of all the aspects: sleep, um, you know, diet, nutrition, hydration, all of these things. But if I use a completely different example, so Harvard did a study. You know, I think they said something like eighty-five percent of people say they'll lack self. Uh, they've lacked self-belief at some point in their life. The other fifteen mm -hmm. percent probably just haven't got there yet. Okay, so everyone's going to lack self-belief at some point. And people have probably seen this sort of thing. We talk about power poses and that type of stuff, right? Yeah. We've all seen this type of stuff, but people don't necessarily know the science behind it, which is if you just sort of stand with your hands and your hips like this, right? And you do that for two minutes, your testosterone, which is the key hormone for confidence, goes up by 20% in both men and women. And the cortisol, which is the stress hormone that causes doubt predominantly, um, goes down by 25%. So that's a 45% swing in hormones. Hormones are such a key 
ingredient to self-belief. If there isn't a shift in our biochemistry, nothing's changing. You can't think your way there. Alternatively, if people sit like this, they find that, uh, and everything obviously changes if we start talking like this, they find that the testosterone drops by 20% and the cortisol goes up by 33%. So it swings the other way. So in two minutes between this and this is a 90% swing in our hormones. So imagine what happens when I get people to use their language, their body, their, their physicality more intensely over an extended period of time, you create that shift. Because you're not going to think your way there. You have to be in the right state. I always say state plus strategy equals solution, right? If you can get the best state with the right strategy, you'll get a better solution. So that's energy. Uh, just to quickly go through a couple of the others, I won't go through all of them, but for example, with focus, okay. There is different levels of being able to focus on solutions, but not problems, but I'll give a very quick example of um, with Zara and people at home, I guarantee I'll probably get 80% of this right in terms of what people are thinking at home. Okay, let's say Zara's going through, gone through this heartbreak. She wants to build a social circle. She has a thought. Oh, no. Um, why does no one, you know, why do people not want to be around me? And we answer the question. I always talk about a human brain and a cartoon brain. We've got different parts of the brain. Human brain a, is a bit more rational, logical, a cartoon brain, a bit more irrational and uh, emotional about things. And we've got to calm that down. But our cartoon brain will go, you know, why are we not good? And, you know, why do people not want to be around us? And our cartoon brain will go, because you're pretty useless, aren't you? And then we'll go, well, why am I useless? Oh, because you're not attractive enough. You're not smart enough. You're not funny enough. Okay. Well, what happens if I'm not attractive enough, funny enough, smart enough? Well, then you're going to be alone forever. Well, what if I'm alone forever? I'm going to be absolutely miserable. And people listening to that go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's, that, that is what's going on in my head. And that's what a downward spiral is. Bad question, bad answer, bad question, bad answer, bad question, bad answer. So one of the ways I do it in a, at a very simple um, level in terms of our day-to-day -day dialogue is how you go up the staircase. Because you have to have a security guard at the door of your mind. You can't just let your brain do whatever it wants to do. It will do whatever it wants to do. So, and we have to have that day-to-day -day dialogue and we have to do it consciously. Same situation with Zara. Okay, look. How can I find a, you know, what can I learn from this experience? Okay, I can learn about a previous person, what isn't good for me. I can also therefore pinpoint more accurately, more specifically, what it is I do want and the types of people I do want to be around. Okay, why would it be helpful if I'm clearer about the types of people I want to be around? That probably helps me work out where I should spend my time, what sort of groups, clubs, associations, this, that or the other, or people existing in my life align with those types of people. Great. What would happen if I spent more time with those people? I probably feel a lot better. I probably feel a lot happier with myself, better quality of life. What would happen if you have a better quality of life? Do you know what? That would be pretty good. And so if people can get into a day-to-day -day habit of just being able to ask better questions, don't positive thinking does not work because it's like asking a bad question and then trying to lie and provide a good answer. And that our brain's going, total nonsense, not happening. Ask a better question, give it a better answer. Our brain goes, our brain's kind of smart and stupid in that way. It goes, yeah, that is the answer, isn't it? That is the answer to that good question. Okay, I believe that. So I won't go through the rest of the model, but there's just a couple of things that people can do. But the most important thing I do with people with all of those steps is they all ask for change. And that's why the philosophy for my business is if you change today, today will change your life. I hate change. I hate it. It's scary. It's terrifying. It makes me feel bad. But change is inevitable. It's necessary. And it's often the other side of that change that good stuff can happen. And so you have to really get on board with that type of feeling. 
Now, people want change. What they're really asking me for is permanent change. They want it to stick. They want to know that tomorrow, the day after, the day after, it's going to still be there. And that's a whole different science. Unless you shift someone's identity, it doesn't matter. It's like saying for, you know, someone who's a cigarette smoker and they're counting down, you know, I haven't smoked for 200 days. Fantastic. Great achievement. Way of measuring it. Well done. Why are you counting? You're just, are you counting until the next day you have a cigarette? What's, what's the counting for? And until they get to the point of being, saying, being able to say of their identity, I am a non-smoker, then we're always in that position where that might happen. Now, it doesn't mean that's easy, but it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And so what I'm trying to do is get people to sh also shift their identity because that's what rubber stamps it. That's what makes it stick. And that's what allows them to be the type of person that they want to be. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting. I think you know, I always look at it from like, maybe like a health perspective. Like, I think I always used to say to my friends, like, oh, I'm so unhealthy. She was like, why don't you flip your mindset and say like, I am a healthy person. And I was like, oh, I find it really hard to say like, I am a healthy person. Sure. But the more that I started to like put that into my vocabulary, I actually then started to make way more healthier choices. Like, you know, when it comes to food, exercise and all these kind of things. It's like, it's really interesting. So I can completely understand what you're talking about. And I want to come back now to, so you were talking about earlier, just before we went through those six supplement master steps, you were like, oh, there's, there's something, there's something there. And if I was just a little bit more confident, I'd love to ask you at a time when you felt super confident, where you were like, I'm absolutely at it. It's inevitable I'm going to deliver. I feel so good about myself. And Another time when you're thinking, oh, it's just not there. I haven't found it again. I think people would love to hear that. So what's that thing for you right now where you're like, I'm not sure? Well, I think for us, we're doing something huge with Talk20s at sure. this moment in time. We're launching a festival. Like that's not what you do every single day, no. but it is a dream of mine that I've had for a really long time. So you know, who, who just goes out and launches a festival for young people? Um, I do, like, <laughs> and my team do. And I think that is something that is like, you know, I've really had to battle with self-belief to kind of go, you know, I've, I've worked, you know, there's loads of things that we can talk about behind the things that we've done that we're like, yes, we have all the evidence to suggest that this will be successful. And there are all the positive signs, but there are sometimes moments where we go, can we do this? Mm. And I think that is the scariest thing. And I think also, I think in this situation, like we've got to see it to, to believe it. Like once we've done it once next year, we're going to be like, you know, it's amazing. And so I think that's one thing that right now is on my mind because I'm working on it every single day. And we're like, we need to have the self-belief, like, cause it's huge what we're doing. It's absolutely massive. Um, and that just, you know, I think a lot of our listeners would probably think like, oh, it's like easy for them. Like they're just, they're just launching this and it's so simple. I think what's in really interesting about that, exactly on that point, people are listening at home like, Gabby, we listen to your podcast loads. We hear you, you're such a good host. You ask really good questions. Surely you're just replicating that. And it's like, well, no, you've got clarity at high score of what you're doing here. Yeah. You have got the energy in terms of how you use your body. You probably go, right, I you're not even doing it consciously. I sit this way. I breathe this way. I talk at this tone. Everything's laddered up to support you. You're able to focus on solutions because you've got enough experience. You can now ask the right questions, right? What makes this a good interview, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You've got triggers that get you into the right state every time. You've got momentum because you've done so many interviews, so many episodes, you've taken consistent action and you've experienced that growth because the podcast has done what it's done. Mm -hmm. Of course, you've got a level of self-belief there because you've worked so hard at it. And then you go into a different setting where it's like, I now don't have the clarity is my energy going to be at the same level? Am I asking the questions that allow me to focus on solution? Because I'm starting to see problems that I didn't know yet existed. Yeah. I know on the day you'll face some and you'll learn from them and that'll be fantastic. you got uh, my triggers, like how do I get in the right state to be able to put on a huge event like this? 
I've, momentum where I've not done this before, so I haven't got that much consistent action. And in terms of growth, I really hope it's going well. So it makes total makes total <laughs> sense. And only because I know so many people in the event industry have I had that conversation a thousand yeah. times. So it's amazing what you're doing. And of course, amongst all of that is, you know, you know the things you'll get right. You'll know there are a load of things you can't predict. Uh, but you've got enough of a, a fan base, enough people love what you do that they'll stick with it and go, oh, look, we know that you've put on this thing. We're just pleased you've put this on. We're just pleased that you're giving us an opportunity to connect, to learn and everything else. And we look forward to, you know, more and more and more. The most important part of all of that is because you make people feel understood. You're not going out there going, here's everything we know. We're awesome. Here's this event. We're awesome. It's, we know how you feel not because we're telling you how you feel, but because of our vulnerabilities about us being open about this, about the people we bring on, because we maybe have an understanding of what the type of person we need to bring on for this. We want, And you're making people feel understood. And that then builds trust. And then it almost doesn't matter how your event goes in a lot of ways. I'm sure you want it to go as well as possible because I know it's been a dream for yes, you for a absolutely. while. I want absolutely. It to go well. <laughs> but what you have in the bank is that understanding or making me feel understood, that trust. And that is way more important than any of the or the tangible, intangible things mm -hmm. you've got to do on the day. As stressful as they are, I would still be stressed by them, totally get it. But you still have that in the bank. And there are lots of people who put on events for the first time who haven't yet built any of that. And so people go to these things and go, I don't know if they can really pull this stuff. Oh, I don't know. I was expecting, you know, all of this stuff. Yeah. You've got enough credit in the bank. But what's the time when you've gone... I, I was absolutely Can I just say, David, I need you on speed dial, like in the yeah, run-up okay. to, right. to the event. So what's the time when you're absolutely rocking? You're in the perfect state and you're like, yeah, I, I feel awesome, undeniable, certain. Maybe I don't go shouting off to everyone necessarily, but I know inside I've got this. That's a really tough question to ask because I think that I always have a little bit of like, oh, self-doubt and certain things. But um, What's the closest you've got to that feeling that you want? Describe to me that feeling one more time. Okay, a feeling of as close to a sense of complete certainty where you're in a high energy state where it's sort of that real peak energy. You feel laser focused. You feel absolutely certain. You feel a sense of inevitability that you're going to deliver because you know the value that you might bring to something. You know you can contribute. You know you can give. You know you can grow. So it's probably a state of complete certainty that you're going to be able to grow and that you're going to be able to give. I would say in my relationship then, because I've been in a relationship for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And of course, like that's it's never been perfect, like since, since the beginning, but like we've had our highs and lows, but like, I'm also getting married next year. And I think I've been, a, thank you. I've been around a lot of people that, um, you know, relationships have broken down or they've not felt right going into the wedding or they've acted completely crazy in the run up to the wedding. And like, of course, like everyone gets a little bit of wedding jitters, like it's mm -hmm. crazy, like crazy time, but I feel zero of that about stepping into like being married to my partner. Like I'm just excited for that. And I don't have any of those complications. I'm like, no, we've got this. Like we are each other's equal. We are each other's biggest supporter. Like we've got this. Like I would probably say that when you talk about that certainty, the only thing that really, really springs to mind is like, and what do you think? And because loads of people, relationships will hard because you have no control in relationships. Mm. You can have contr more control in your career, your business, your health. You can do those things. You don't have control because it requires someone else. That's one of the areas people struggle most. If you feel good about that area, that, that, and that's one of the most important aspects, of course, for a good quality of life. Mm -hmm. What do you think has contributed to that confidence for you and your relationship? Because again, lots of people struggle with that. Very true. I think um, 
because obviously there's like been like harder times and stuff like that. We have always like communicated on those. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if I'm going for a difficult time, maybe with work or something like that, like we will be open and have those deep, you know, discussions and be like, I'm feeling like this or I'm feeling like that. There's a huge element of trust that goes on in relationships as well. And I think that is massive. Like I've not had trust in my previous relationships and I've been cheated on in the past, but like after 10 years of being with someone, you kind of get to know that they're, you could trust them. Like, you know, you've built it up enough, like, reason to believe that that is the case. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all of those kinds of things that kind of just have built a layer upon layer upon layer of like, okay, like we've got this and no matter what life throws at us, we've got it. That's great. That's great. I, I mean, and for anyone with regards to having problems in relationships, I, I work a huge part of what I do is working with people after heartbreak because that's just, especially for people in their 20s, I think two of the key things, probably people struggling with heartbreak, maybe one of the first times they go through a breakup or something along those lines, divorce, whatever it might be. Um, and then people with career uncertainty. But the heartbreak stuff is so incredibly difficult for mm -hmm. people. There's so many facets of it. I've also got to work with people on the grief side of it. That's a slightly different subject. Absolutely. But in terms of being able to rebuild that confidence, especially with the experiences that you've just described that you've had, um, is a really, really hard thing to do. And I'm just pleased for you that you found something and been able to work at it together and communicate. I mean, that's um, fantastic and congratulations. Thank you. I try not to talk about it on the podcast too much because I also feel like it's, it's it's not normal to be in a long-term relationship <laughs> in your 20s. There are plenty of people out there like who have had difficult experiences yeah, and are going through difficult experiences. And like a lot of, most of my friends are single. Like, so I, I hear all the stories like all the time. Like I'm not completely out of touch with what it's like <laughs> to be a single person. But I think it's like, you know, it is something that I would say that is like one of the most important things in my life is that the relationship that I have. And like, I don't think I'd be sat here on this sofa doing this job if I did, if I hadn't have had the experience that I do have with my partner, because, you know, we're each other's biggest support and cheerleader and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's massive. And I have to acknowledge it at some point because <laughs> yeah. You, you are the sum of the people you spend most of your time with. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely true. But mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Well, David, I have absolutely loved chatting to you all about self-belief and your kind of, your method of pulling it all together and measuring self-belief. And I think it's fascinating. I think for anyone who's trying to work on their own self-belief, this is an episode that they can keep coming back to you mm -hmm. going, where am I at in my self-belief journey? Mm -hmm. And they can definitely check out more by um, following you online and, and checking out your website. But I'd love to discuss the things that you struggle with and have struggled with. Um, is there anything that springs to mind in terms of a big adulting failure that you look back on and you think, why did I go through this? That was crazy. Oh, do I tell this? I've, I, when you said that, a story just popped into my head. I'm thinking that's really maybe not a story I want to tell. But is it right to tell it? I suppose I will tell it. Please tell it. Okay. Because I've just, <laughs> I've just thrown the fish hook out there now. Haven't I? I've kind we of can cut it if I it's absolutely horrific. No, it, <laughs> no it's, just, it's, just, it's just embarrassing in how it will affect my reputation, but let's go for it. Ah, um, okay. Anyway, no. Um, so, okay. I'm on a I'm on a plane coming back from San Francisco. Look, I teach confidence for a living. It doesn't mean I like confrontation. It doesn't mean just because I can learn and understand self-belief and confidence. Yeah, I'll go and say anything to anyone. Okay. We've all been in that place where we're on a plane and either the person in front or the person behind is not the person you want it to be, either they're a bit annoying, they're kicking the seat, whatever it might be. Okay. So I get on this plane, it's gonna be like a well, how long is it is, a 10, 12 hour flight, whatever it is. Um, and uh, an elderly woman is walking past and uh, she sits in the, the chair behind me. Uh, she's got a walking stick. She's a bit fragile um, and she's being helped to a seat. Um, I've got my arm on the armrest like this and I maybe move it for a second. And I turn back and her foot is on the armrest. And I'm thinking, 
Now, she's just walked on really fragile. That was like a ninja. That was so quick. <laughs> I've never seen speed like it. But I also thought the audacity of being like, okay, I'm just going to put my foot there. And I thought, mm, should I say something? And then I'll go through all this stuff in my head like, oh, you know, do I, what, do I have the confidence to do this, do this, do this? And I'm thinking, but she's so, she looks so sweet and she's innocent. And I'm like, no, I, I don't want to say anything. Like, okay. Uh, she'll move her foot at some point. Her, her leg will ache at some point. She's going to put her foot down. Okay. 10 minutes later, she puts her foot down. Okay, oh, got my arm back there. Okay, Karen watching the film. Move my arm again, and she does it again. Goes like that, arm on the, foot on the arm raised. I'm thinking, this son of a, oh my God, what is she doing? <laughs> I think she has to know this is like unacceptable, but I'm still having this thing in my head of, I don't really want confrontation. It's a long flight. I don't want to make a scene. And so this is kind of that thing in adult, even in adult life, confrontation. It doesn't become this thing like, oh, I'm an adult. Now I can deal with it. I still don't want to have it. But it's getting harder and harder. It happens a few more times. We get about two hours into the flight. That's not the worst part of the story. So I move my arm again and I go to put my arm back and I go, oh, and I think, what on earth? I look at my arm and my arm starts dripping with blood like profusely, I'm thinking, what on earth has happened here? Because I've not confronted this situation or confronted this woman or just kindly spoken to someone that this is happening, what has happened is this woman has put her foot on the armrest with her shoes and socks off. And I have cut my arm on her toenail. Oh, no. And everything inside of me when I realise that is one of those moments where you freeze and you're just thinking... I feel like I'm going to be sick. I feel like I'm going to throw up. So if you're ever on a flight and you need to confront someone, you don't have to be rude. You don't have to be unkind, but you might get cut by a toenail. So I just have a little think about that. You don't know what's going to happen. I wish I'd said something. And however, whoever I've grossed out there listening to that, I'm really, really Me. sorry. But Me, and, and everyone in this room, sorry for everyone in this room. Um, sometimes you've got to have the difficult conversation. Have the difficult conversation. Yeah. And I, what a yeah. story. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. it's, it's a good, it is, it is kind of gross, but at the same time, like it does kind of show you that like, if something is not a vibe, please say something it, politely. It, oh, it wasn't vibing for me when no. I got cut. So yeah, mm, if it's yeah. not vibing, find, see if you, if you're not vibing, find the vibe, find a better vibe. Choose the better vibe as quickly Choose as possible. Choose the better vibe. Good I think advice. That's, that's the key message in this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think a lot of the things, you know, we discuss on the podcast is the idea that nobody's perfect and everybody is working through something. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you are the self-belief chief. You are so, you know, in tune with you know, having more belief. But is there an area of your life that you perhaps are struggling with that you would like to get better at? Yeah, I think absolutely. The When I, when I turned 20... Um, I, so I'm born through IVF treatment. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 20, I thought, I'm going to do a bit of looking into all of this IVF stuff. And I had no concept of how challenging it is emotionally, physically, financially, all of this stuff. Um, the amount of times it fails, all of this stuff. And so I asked my parents about it. I was like, did you have to go through all of this? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they never brought it up. They never like used it against me. Like, why are you misbehaving? We work so hard to have you yeah. and stuff like that. You cost so much yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and you know, you have the, they put the sort of sperm and the eggs in, in like four different dishes. Dish one's the best stuff. Dish four's the worst stuff. I came from dish four. That ruins your self-belief when you find oh, out you're, no. from, you're like the worst of the worst. Anyway, separate, completely separate story. Anyway, so, but I hear all of this and I realised how much they did to give me life 
And it gave me this real burning desire to give something back to life in some way, shape or form, which is probably where I find the level of drive. There's good stuff that comes with that. It's a really happy responsibility. I feel I don't feel pressure from it. I really want to give something back uh, because of that. What does come, not with that, but because of how driven I am and everything else, I'm always looking for the next thing. I'm always looking for growth. I'm always looking for progress. And I knew when I turned about 20 that I was going to be working really hard at this, but it was going to require so much sacrifice to do it that I might have to sacrifice most of my 20s. And I didn't know if that would pay off. I didn't know if that'd be a good decision, but it kind of just felt right. Someone heard me say that particular point that I'd feel like I was sacrificing my 20s in a lot of ways and quite recently asked me, now that I'm 31, did that sacrifice pay off? Is that has Did it turn into exactly what you wanted it to be? I hadn't thought about it. So I thought for a moment and I said, I didn't have to sacrifice as much as I thought I had to. Right? I still, I was doing what I loved. I still got to do things, I got to spend time with people. I don't think I was present for much of it. Mm. And I think for people listening in the, who, who, you know, in your 20s especially, I work with people from 20 to 80, right? Especially in your 20s, everything's moving quickly. We want to make change and progress so quickly in that desire for certainty. So we're always going after things to get that sense of certainty. But what comes that with that is the ability, the inability sometimes to be present. And so that's the thing I'm constantly working on. I've got triggers and things and I've worked with people to be a bit more present and understand from people who are real experts at this stuff. And I've got better and better about that. But that's a never-ending thing because I think if people at home, instead of focusing on what you can't control, what you don't have and the past or the future, if you can get in what I call the green zone, which is what you can control, what you do have, and the present with a tiny bit of focus on the future, then you'll have a much better quality of life, but also a much, much more compelling future to look forward to because you'll think, if I can enjoy the present now, wow, as I continue to grow, being present and grow at the same time, then I get to enjoy myself, I get to, you know, become who I really want to be. And then ultimately, most importantly, is do I then have something of value to give other people? Mm-hmm. Really valuable advice. And I think a lot of people who are struggling with kind of purpose and what they're supposed to do in their 20s will really resonate with that, but also not putting enough, so much pressure on themselves that they, mm. they lose the moment. They, 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 they're not present in the moment, Perfect. which is better than the answer that I thought you were going to say, which was I decided to become a sperm donor because that's what the, the, the avenue <laughs> that I thought you were going down when you started talking about IVF. I thought, oh, he's going to talk about being a sperm donor. No, no, it was going in a no, completely different good. direction. Much it's better advice. Good, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not tra- I've avoided that. I weighed up all the options, but it all didn't work <laughs> for me. So yeah. That's really where I thought you were going with that. Okay. So thank you for, for the other right. response. But David, it's been amazing to chat to you on the podcast. I've taken so much from this episode, but I know you just said there you when you're 31 now, but if you could look back at 20 year old David and give him just one piece of advice to see him through his 20s, what would you say to him and how would you like to end the podcast? I think part, with regards to that being present aspect, I think that's a really important part. But I think when I was 20, I, I'd come off... Um, I had to retire early from being a footballer as well. And I was a really bad headspace. And one of the things that I needed to understand is how to diversify. So you have to get an understanding. If you want love, people come to me and they'll go, look, I, I want love. And I'll say, well, what has to happen for you to have love? And they say, well, I have to be in an intimate relationship with someone I can trust, who's funny, who's great, I find attractive, and who's always available. Those things do not all happen simultaneously all of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's never going to happen. So even if you're in a relationship, you've got a rule 
that means it's impossible to experience love. Whereas love comes in, okay, what you get, sure, but what you give and what you uh, what you give and what you give to yourself. And so you then have to be able to diversify because that then takes some of the pressure off some of the goals and targets you have. If I could have understood that with regards to love, certainty, many other aspects, that if you can just diversify, take some pressure off, and then therefore be able to do things in a more relaxed state, I probably would have got a further, <laughs> further along a lot quicker than it has taken me. Um, but that's part of being in your 20s. You don't know this stuff, but if anyone's listening, if you've got something in your mind, a basic human need, something you feel like you're really missing, if you can just diversify, find multiple channels to get it, like you would invest money, you invest in multiple places, then it just makes the whole life easier. And we can take a deep breath. We all absolutely need to take a deep breath in our 20s. Thank you so much, David. It has been so amazing to have you on the podcast. And if you're listening to this episode, please make sure you are subscribed or following the podcast. Leave a comment below. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>